0: Hi there, this is Gary Turner, your Value Through Vulnerability podcast host. Today I'm really excited to introduce you to Rebecca Monique Williams. She's head of people at Attest, which is a um, a tech startup, but also one of the most wonderful heart-led leaders that I've had the pleasure to to meet face-to-face. After I saw her present at a Disrupt HR talk uh, back in, I believe it was March 2019. Uh, we have a really diverse conversation. She's a wonderful human being, originally born in Sierra Leone. Tells us later on in this conversation about her origin story, um, which is clearly the fuel for just this incredible human who has a strong personal brand. She's a big, big fan of photography, um, as well as being head of people uh, at her work organisation. And I really love her two core personal values. Uh, which are to enrich herself, but also to pay it forward. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. And I'm really sure that you're wanting to connect and follow up with Rebecca Monique after this conversation. So please do let us know what you think. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And this morning, I am more than excited because I've got quite an amazing human being that you're going to get to meet over the next half an hour called Rebecca Monique Williams. And I'd like to introduce Rebecca to the podcast, who is a people pro. She's head of people um, at a tech startup. But more than that, she's an awesome human being who I saw present at Disrupt HR back in March. So, Rebecca, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, right, Gary, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Oh, well, no, thank you for joining me today. And I think as we get going, I've got a range of sort of themes for those that regularly listen to this podcast around vulnerability, awareness, uh, inclusion, et cetera. But I'd really like to get going by you just giving my listeners just a bit more background. Who is Rebecca? What is your background? And what are you passionate about right now?
1: Um, so as you mentioned, I'm head of people at uh, Attest, we're a consumer growth platform. Um, and I've been there for almost a year now and my role uh, encompasses everything um, that covers the whole employee life cycle so I'm responsible for everything from recruitment to onboarding, uh, learning and development, um, performance management, team engagement all the way to exit. Um, I am incredibly passionate about allowing individuals to actualize uh, to reach self-actualization, to discover what their purpose is, to do awesome work, to bring their, I, there's a there's a saying, bring your whole self to work. Um, I don't necessarily agree with bringing your whole self to work. You certainly don't want me to bring my whole self to work, but um, I want to be able to create a space where people feel that they can bring their authentic selves to work, whatever parts that they need to be, uh, to build long lasting, strong professional relationships and everything that they need to,
0: to, to do amazing work. Um, yeah. That's just, you're, you're, you're getting me off and going already, Rebecca. It's lovely. What, what, what a great introduction. I think, I wanna come back to that piece actually around authentic versus wholesale. because I think it's a really interesting conversation and one that I, that, that I find interesting around the vulnerability sort of piece of this conversation. So I will come back to that. Um, something that's interesting for me though is that you've got a passion for, t- for t- photography I believe as well. Is that something that you've had for a long time or is that something that's evolved?
1: Uh, actually, my passion, <laughs> my passion for photography only came about when I was on maternity leave and I was really bored um, and I wanted something to kind of keep me busy and keep me creative. So that's how that came about and that's, that was self taught. Uh, and then it just kind of developed into a, a passion that I absolutely adore.
0: That's beautiful. That's, and do you find that? Is there anything for you? Is there any sort of parallels between the work you do in the sort of full employee experience life cycle and photography? Is there anything that you feel sort of comes up for you across those two, two areas? Oh,
1: um, I particularly, the type of photography that I love is so I love doing portraits um, and I'm really into uh, details in photography. So I'm also similarly into the you know, really delving into the, uh, I, I don't know, myopic details of, of people at work, how they think, what motivates them, what makes them tick. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm that person who's kind of always sitting in the background observing for the, the small details that people don't necessarily notice. Um, so I suppose that's, if, if there was a link, that would probably be it.
0: Jessica, that's really cool, because now I'm going to get nosy, Rebecca, so bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how that might point back towards, So I think you've done a wonderful um, degree, I believe, in journalism with sociology. So I'm wondering how that informed a little bit of that curiosity and that desire to go a bit deeper with the human psyche somehow.
1: Um, yeah, I've always been into writing. Um, I express myself much better in, in, in written form than I do verbally. Um, I, even though I did a degree in journalism, I was kind of a little bit disenchanted with the media. So I decided not to pursue that as a career. But, um, yeah, I've always been very curious, um, asking the whys, the whats, the hows. Um, and I suppose that's what led me to to doing that. And similarly at work, I'm always uh, asking those curious, thoughtful questions um, just to uncover, uh, you know, fascinating things that people that we might otherwise um, I don't know, not, not consider.
0: And has that been something that's, have you always been that sort of deeply curious person? Have you managed to keep hold of that um, sort of throughout your journey?
1: Yeah. I've always been very introspective, very, you know, reflective. I I kind of, uh, I have my quiet moments. Um, I I think deeply. I'm definitely a deep thinker. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's always been a part of me.
0: It's, it's really funny because I find, I find myself is that I've probably only been the last, if I'm honest with you, Rebecca, probably three years that I've sort of woken up at the age of sort of 40 and gone, my God, I can be curious. I didn't realise I've been, like, for the last 20 years, I've been striving for the outside world. What does the outside world think success looks like? Nice car, nice life, nice job title. Mm. you just wake up and go like, oh, my God. None of that stuff yeah. fundamentally matters for our soul, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. <laughs> I think um, we focus so much on the like external factors and we don't realize that all the answers are actually within ourselves all the things that we need to thrive and to be successful in 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 life and in this world and professionally are all the answers are within us um if only we kind of go a little bit deeper and look within um we'll find that it's all about presence and stillness
0: Mm, that's, that's really beautiful actually it's only something i've realized recently around that that, that presence part and how do you as rebecca when you're you know, you're in this sort of tech startup world you're clearly very introspective yourself but you throw yourself into these fascinating high-paced high-energy environments how do you as rebecca balance that need to be present and help others be present in that sort of environment
1: yeah i think for me it kind of goes back to um my two values, which are my, my personal values, which are one to enrich myself. And then the second one is to pay it forward. So the first um, value, which I, I, I covered during the Disrupt HR talk, um, all about enriching myself means that I need to, even though it sounds really selfish, but I look after me, I am number one. Um, so, you know, self care is incredibly important to me. I start my day and my week as i mean to go on so you know i wake up in the morning the first thing i do is say thank you and that's a form of gratitude that i express um and then you know i kind of get up i i um i have a glass of water um i then i meditate for about 15 to 20 minutes meditation is something that is incredibly important in um the way that i the way that i live my life meditation <clears throat> for me is kind of like I know uh, I'm someone who goes to the gym. So meditation is all about preparing yourself, enabling yourself to be able to be mindful throughout the day. Um, so, you know, it's pointless kind of meditating in the morning and then in the evening, if throughout your day, you're not mindful. So that's what meditation means to me. So I make sure that every single morning I get that in without, without fail, I make time for that. And that enables me to be present throughout the day enables me to, um, to be aware of myself, how I'm feeling, you know, when a a difficult situation arises, I'm able to kind of do that body scan and I'm aware of the situation. Um, I'm also aware of how other people are feeling and what the vibe is in the room. And you know, that means that I'm able to not just react, but I'm able to refrain and respond accordingly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how, how I, um, enrich myself in order that I can help others and you kind of touched on um the point earlier about being in a fast growth startup and there's this um you know there's this the concept of uh speed versus velocity that I talk about quite a lot um you know speed is all about you know getting things done really quickly and a lot of people are moving fast but to nowhere uh, whereas velocity is moving as quickly as you possibly can to a desired goal. Um, and that, I think, is is what is really important, especially in fast growth uh, companies. So, for instance, if you take a look at speed versus velocity in recruitment, you know, with speed, you've got, you know, people saying, OK, we need individuals now. You know, there's that concept of getting bums on seats. But speed is very short term focus. It's, you know, focused on the immediate need. Um, You might in an interview process uh, overlook the red flags um, and also onboarding is an oversight. The result of all of this is poor cultural fit, poor role fit, low probation pass rate, increased cost per hire. But, you know, on the flip side, if you look at velocity in recruitment, you know, a company would slow down and ask themselves, what are we trying to build here? What kind of what company do we want to have in the next year, in the next five years. You know, it's more medium to long term. You know, you might take a look at the team composition. You know, what skills do we currently have? What future skills do we need in the next six, 12, 18 months? You know, you might decide to um, really look at what your recruitment strategy is. So looking at job adverts to make sure that you're not um, encouraging false positives, um, you know, where you, you basically give away what the role is to the individual that's applying. So it makes it easier for them to pass or, you know, you might decide to look at your assessments. So, you know, are you asking the right interview questions? What are you trying to test in those interviews? Do you have scorecards to make sure that you're interviewing objectively? Um, You might run, um, you might roll out interview training for everyone that's in the hiring panel. And, you know, you won't either, uh, you won't overlook great onboarding you know because a lot of companies they bring on board amazing people and then they don't give them the tools for success you know so velocity and recruitment in that sense would um would give you the result of that would give you culture add not just culture fit so you know you're bringing on people who are adding to what you currently have in the company they're elevating what you have Um, those individuals are ramped up quicker there's a higher probation pass rate, you get more engaged team members and you, you have a higher retention rate. So yeah, I'm very um, fascinated with that speed versus velocity um, dynamic.
0: Mm, it's just, I really love what you've described there actually, because I think if, if I think about terms that I talk about on this podcast, things like fear and vulnerability mm-hmm. and awareness, I think these really deeply emotional stakes that we get into in the workplace it's because people are stuck in that short-term yeah. reactivity of speed. And we don't talk about, and I love your pointing to this, I don't talk about this enough, is the philosophy. So actually, I really love that as a, a mental model for people to realise it's not about the sets you're in, it's about the yeah. mindset of your leadership and you as individuals, yeah. so how do you want to run your life, almost.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Wow, that's really, I love that. See, i'm so I'm so selfish, Rebecca. I get so much takeaways from your amazing guests, honestly <laughs> um, I want to come back to your other personal value for a second if I may though you spoke about enriching self and you also spoke about paying it forward. What does that mean to you? Where does that come from for, for Rebecca?
1: Um, I suppose it comes from my my personal journey um, and it took me a long time going through well a long time to to realize that my journey was not in vain and with everything in life, when you do it from a place of serving, you find that you are actually, um, you, you're, you you you're more authentic and you find that you are, you're, you're in a place of peace. Um, in, in many ways, it's altruistic paying it forward because you get that, that wonderful, um, shot of dopamine. Um, which makes you feel amazing when you when you help others um, but I mean yeah that's that for me it's all about lifting others inspiring them um, helping them to realize um, or come to the answers for themselves.
0: And what, um, In terms of that paying it forward Rebecca for, so for me what I really like is this sort of link between you speak about the importance of you know, looking after yourself, and we owe it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You spoke about this in your Disrupt HR talk. You know, I look after me, we owe it to ourselves. And I think I've, I've experienced that myself over the last couple of years, where that if we're not actually putting ourselves, like, equally first, you know, we're so often, we're so often helping others. Yeah. Think, or we go to, particularly as parents, and you'll know that firsthand. You know, we always give to others, which is great. But if we're not looking after ourselves as well, you know, we burn out. We have mental health challenges. You know, we have all the stuff that comes up. So it's not actually a selfish thing, is it, to put yourself first, uh, in a way? It's not,
1: no, because, I mean, when you're, when you're helping others constantly and you're not filling up your cup, you're draining yourself, and then you don't have the capacity or the headspace um, to, to support others. So in many ways, it's actually less, it's, it's almost, um, it's more detrimental to like, constantly be helping others and draining yourself than it is to make sure that you're in the best headspace mentally, emotionally, physically uh, to support individuals.
0: And, and I, th- I think what comes up for me here as well, which is really interesting. So, back to that, you sp- I, I, I've got to come back to this point, Rebecca. It's an amazing comment where you spoke about creating the space and people being authentic versus whole self. Now, I use the term, you know, bringing your whole self to work or be able to be more of you, et cetera. But I do understand that that's not always easy for people and now this links to vulnerability for me so I'm quite an open book talking about my previous bullying self-harming etc I'm okay with that but not everybody is and I'm wondering what your thought is around the topic of vulnerability do you think it is important to be vulnerable is it not you know how does it come up for you personally and at work um
1: I think it's incredibly important to be vulnerable um it's not it, it very much depends on the kind of environment that you have at work if you if you're in an alpha environment then vulnerability is oftentimes seen as a, um, a weakness uh, so you might kind of suppress all those emotions but I think one of the biggest thing is if, if you whenever you suppress an emotion or you suppress fear it's it's still there it just remains dormant and any, the smallest thing will trigger you. So it's kind of like when you have a splinter and, you know, you don't remove the splinter and, you know, you brush your, you brush your, your hand that's got the splinter in against something, you will be triggered by it. And it is just calling to, to rush back up to the surface. So if you, if you're able to express and release those really difficult emotions, um, what you're actually doing is empowering others. You're giving them permission to also be vulnerable And only then can you realize, you know, okay, this individual needs support, and I've also been through that situation before, and you know, this is how I dealt with it. You know, you can work together and create more human places, um, human workplaces. Um, Yeah, instead of you know trying to be strong all the time, you know, it's not, you know, we all we all go through difficult times, and you know, saying that you know it's okay to not be okay in in and of itself is strength um you know you're doing yourself a disservice by you know trying to 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 not address those tough emotions you know or, or fear that you might be encountering
0: yeah and, and how would you and again apologies for bouncing around in the conversation this is why I love these conversations Rebecca is so if I think about your work role again as head of people at a test for a second, how do you balance that velocity? with people that may be stressed or have problems going at home or they're going through a divorce how do you create that safe space in a high growth environment to allow people to be vulnerable
1: Um, i think a lot of the like one of the things that we do is we uh, train and coach line managers to have really good one-to-ones so it's not the focus is not on how regularly do you have your one-to-ones but it's about the quality and the depth of your conversations you know, when you a lot of managers, you know, when they have their one to ones, it's it, they come across more like status updates. But if you at the beginning or even at the end, wherever you feel more comfortable having that, that that space to just talk about the individual, you know, what's going on with them, what's going on at home, what's, you know, if they're comfortable enough to kind of discuss that. Because only then can you come from a place of like greater compassion and understanding. Um you know, they might be going through you know a lot at home, and and the workload that they've got, at, you know, is just adding to that stress. And you might not be, you know, they might not be performing very well, and you won't understand until you ask them those questions. Um, so it's all about you know the quality of the questions that you're asking and showing genuine care. Um, and also, I think like what I said before, when you when you create when you have a when you're having a conversation you find commonality it allows individuals to kind of let their guard down a little bit you know it's it's like saying you know what there's relatedness here we are we're all different but we're the same as well um so that's for me one well, one way that we create uh that safe space uh we also for um, many of the teams do um fortnightly retrospectives and that again is a a safe space a safe environment for teams to kind of say okay this is what went really well in the last two weeks this what this is what didn't go so well this is what i learnt these are some of the questions and and things questions on my mind some of the things that are puzzling me um and again it's just providing that psychologically safe space to say okay i messed up here or i wasn't too good at doing that or you know this is how you know this is what good would look like for me, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm working on. Um, it's, it's creating those open channels of communication um, that then foster environments that are conducive to um, more compassion and more empathy.
0: And that is so, so powerful for me, um, Rebecca, because what comes up for me with that, A, the psychological space um, safe space element, but you've got that almost practice in place. So although people know that, although they may have more periodic, let's call it formal reviews or catch-ups with the line management, there is that practice fortnightly where you're basically saying you don't have to go any longer than two weeks to get something that's really bothering you off your chest. And I think psychologically that's quite powerful.
1: Yeah. And I think also like just touching on failure, there was a quote that I I came across a few uh, weeks ago when you know, in, in startups, you know, you're moving really fast and sometimes you make mistakes. Um, This quote that I heard was, it just resonated with me. Uh, It's don't be afraid to start over this time. You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. And I think that that in and of itself is like, you know, we're going to have to do things. Everyone's going to have to do things for the first time. Everyone's going to, you know, no one woke up. um, No one was born knowing how to do everything. Um, But it's always about, you know, your attitude, your mindset to how you're going to pick yourself up, what you've learned. Have you taken that on board? Um, You know, you're going to have to do things with fear, you know. And I think the most scariest part is just before you take that first step to doing something for the first time. Um, But if you're in an environment where you feel like, okay, it's okay to fail um, because failure is the only way that I'm actually going to grow. Um, You're more you're more likely to have that courage. You're more likely to be confident and be willing to try new things.
0: What I really love about this conversation so far, and it's the way it's just naturally lending itself to this link between courage, vulnerability, safety, presence. You know, there is nothing we have not spoken yet about metrics. Yeah, <laughs> not not a single moment yet about ROI or numbers or how do we, you know, and, you know, this, it's not intentional. That's not why I get great people like you on Rebecca, but it, I'm just always sort of heartened by the fact yeah. we can have such a depth of conversation because we well, you and I know innately that you get the people stuff right and the, the figures follow.
1: Yeah, it's the intangible things uh, um, that you you can't. You can see and you can feel, and that's when that's when the environment is elevated. That's when people feel comfortable. That's when people are in flow. That's when they do their best work. That's when they collaborate with others. That's when they, you know, build better relationships with, the, you know, their peers. It's you know those the, the things that we can't physically see or, or measure, put a number to, but you can feel.
0: And how do, you, how do you manage that sort of, you know, just as, as Rebecca generally, as well as your work, brother, how do you see it more generally around the fact that we're still coming out of this more sort of traditional mindset of justify everything in order to get investment to actually the more iterative, and I know you're passionate about design thinking, you know, how do we get more people to take that more fa- you know pro-failure approach to work uh, and get away from that more fear-based, you know, roi'ing everything to death before we actually do anything
1: uh do you know what i'm so fortunate i think one of the reasons i joined a test was because of uh the founders jeremy uh jeremy king and tony hunter i came on board and one of our one of our um core values is responsible autonomy and i came on board and they entrusted me with so much they said okay this is what we want to achieve now go do and I was able to kind of run with so many ideas. I didn't have to put a business case forward for the things that are for you know, it, for people, people just seem like common sense. You know, it, I didn't have to spend ages writing a report on why we should go with this software or why this initiative would be, you know, uh, high impact and, and, and have, you know, immense value for, for our team members. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I, I joined a test. Um, it's, it's kind of um, for me. I, I've, I think, I think having that autonomy to um, to trial things and to um, to see. Sorry, I've just had a brain freeze. Can you just repeat the question? I think I was going off on a tangent.
0: No, you're fine, Rebecca. No, you were just talking about the responsible autonomy. Um, yeah. And how you have the freedom to, to to basically not have to ROI everything.
1: Yeah um I, Because I think that <clears throat> when you have, kind of going back to what we were saying before, when people are, when you get the feedback from individuals, uh, you know that you're doing uh, something right. So, again, I think touching touching on feedback for us, we have we're really big on on that at a test. So we have uh, a continuous listening strategy. So at every stage of the the employee lifecycle. So when we think about recruitment. Uh, We look at uh, candidate experience surveys. For onboarding, we have phased phased onboarding surveys week one, month one, uh, just before they pass their their probation. And even month six, uh, I have people powers with every new new starter that comes on board. Um, For growth and development, we have 360 reviews and one-to-ones. For engagement, again, we run biannual engagement surveys. Um, We have our catch-ups. And even on separation, we have our exit interviews and, and the exit survey. So for us, um, having that continuous listening strategy means that where we constantly have our kind of finger on the pulse, we know what how people are feeling, we know what we need to do to improve, we know which areas to target. Um, so for us, that's, that's really key to um, making sure that we are doing the right things at the right times. Um, the most impactful things, the things that really do matter to individuals?
0: As, as, I'm sitting here floored because for those that know me, like, so I've created um, a model called the listening organization, <laughs> which actually <laughs> made up of a range of components such as curiosity, well-being, mindset, et cetera. And I've, I'm so excited to hear that you have a continuous listening strategy as a thing because yeah. I think that is so deeply needed so deep because we're so busy talking that we're so rarely listening.
1: Yeah, and I think just as well as we scale, we need to make sure, this is one of the things that a lot of startups and scale ups have, like they struggle with, you know, how do we scale our culture as the company grows? How do we maintain the essence of what, you know, what we started with that we want to retain um, as we grow? And, And the only way you can do that is if you are listening and making sure that you're doing the right things and you're you know, holding yourself accountable to your values. And it's not just the values, but it's the behaviors and the attitudes that are associated with those values. You know, what is it that we will tolerate? What is it that we won't tolerate? Um, so yeah, I think the continuous listening strategy also helps keep you, um, make sure that you're on track with those things.
0: And how did it make you feel, how did it make you feel when you joined this responsible autonomy that you were given by the founders of, the, um, of, of a test? You know, was it so clear from meeting those two people that like this is where I need to be because I trust what they're telling me to be true? From mm. you know, you know.
1: my for my first interview, and this is gonna <laughs> it's gonna sound a bit like a, of a hyperbole, but I felt like I had found my tribe. Like it was like from my first interview, I thought, okay, I want to work here. I want to work with these awesome people, and I'm going to be, I'm going to make, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in and I'm going to be part of something that's so awesome. And we're really going to truly build an amazing company that other people want to come and join and want to be part of. Um, so yeah, I, I from from the first moment that I met them, um, I just kind of knew this is this is the company that I want to be part of. It makes my life so much easier, you know, having founders uh, who who just get it. It makes my role an absolute
0: delight. And I and I'm. I can see just by, that people can't see you and I talking out. <laughs> the grin on your face is just like human. Whatever, you're, whatever the owners of this company are doing, clearly it's, it's you. Because again, we've barely spoken about metrics, yeah? And like, you're you're here beaming with a wide smile because you know yeah. that you're helping those people actualize in a way that you want to actualize yourself. Yeah.
1: Um, I think in terms of metrics, um, we're always focused on the things that we want to achieve. So we're not just collecting data for the sake of collecting it. We mm-hmm. focus on the things that matter to us. So, um, you know, things like, you know, for instance, candidate experience is incredibly important. So that's one of the things that we, we measure in our recruitment process. Um, our, en- you know, engagement um, score and our employee net promoter score, they're very important to us because they're measuring things like um, success, for us um that's and 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 the experience how people feel what their what their experience is of um at different touch points within uh their their journey with us at to test so it's all about kind of you know honing in on on the metrics that matter not just collecting data for the sake of collecting it but again thinking about what kind of company we want to create and you know how are we going to if we are going to measure them statistically. You know what what are the right metrics um, to achieve that and to to measure consistently.
0: That's really interesting, actually. So I, I like your phrase metrics that matter because I don't want to sound yeah. like I'm a, I'm anti-metrics. Of course, we need them to evidence what works. But I mean, I, I struggle. I, I appreciate your thoughts on this, Rebecca. So I go back and forth between this big evidence based movement. We need evidence based decision making, I get it. I can think it's helpful, but I think there's something about evidence for validation versus evidence for justification. And I keep yeah. going back and forth, and I don't know what your thought is around evidence-based decision-making as a sort of general thought, and also my th- my thinking there. And again, it's, it's not evolved.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think... For me, when I look at statistics or metrics, I use them more to to gauge how we can be better, like what we can do to improve, um, rather than to, like you said, to justify why something is, you know, why, why we've rolled out an initiative or to check that it's, um, it's valuable. I think there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of, um, benefits from getting that uh quantitative data, but there's a lot more that you can gain from getting the qualitative stuff as well, and that is having the conversations with individuals. Mm -hmm. Um because that's 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 the like human stuff. You know, when you drill down into the words that people use and you know how they really feel about things, that's more it creates more insight. so for me like the 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 metrics are more i use them more for um to gauge how we can improve or be better or to kind of test that something that we are that we have rolled out um is delivering value
0: it's really interesting isn't it because when we talk about sort of you know process or metrics hard let's call it hard metrics and then we look at conversations as qualitative they're all data points. And I find it really interesting that they are all data. It just depends Mm. what you want to do with it. Yet so often we look at the, one of my pet hates, without going all ranty today, Rebecca, is um, around this soft skills sort of language around, you know, um, curiosity and vulnerability, you know, influencing negotiation, all these things, seem called soft skills. And I think there's, for me, there's something a little bit insidious about soft skills as almost a put-down language for those most, Mm. most important. Yeah. I don't know. Does that resonate or do you challenge it? What's your thinking
1: around that? Uh do you know what's really funny? I think when you when we start our careers, it's very much about the hard skills. You know, we have to kind of be amazing in our field. And then as you kind of um progress along your career, you you know, you might become a people manager. The shift then goes to the uh the soft skills. And those are actually the most difficult things. Like you can teach the hard skills, you can learn those but very few people have the soft skills, the emotional intelligence to be great leaders um, and to, to build great relationships with uh, their peers, their colleagues. Um, so I think, you know, there's a book called, um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And that kind of touches on a lot of the things that, um, the, the shifts, the mindset shifts that individuals have to make as they progress in their careers. Um, but for me, I mean, I think the core, skills or are, are the soft skills, because they're, the, they're the things that very few people, it takes a long, some people have naturally, it's innate in them, and some people find it really difficult to, to develop those things. Um, but those are the, the skills that are going to make you, great, make you a great leader, um, get you the buy-in, help you to build amazing relationships and, uh, with, with your colleagues.
0: You've got me thinking now, Rebecca, as well. (laughs) So I I love these conversations. It's just, it's so rich, isn't it? That we've, we're at this 2019, middle of 2019, nearly the second half already, which is crazy. And I think it's really interesting that if you look back, you know, in the last two or three years, you know, I wasn't having these conversations like you and I having, because I wouldn't have seen, although I'm pretty highly emotionally intelligent, I wouldn't have seen them being as important as I now know them to be. Because I was still wrapped up three years ago in the metrics, you know, hit the numbers, nice life, nice car, nice, nice wife, etc. And I think, you know, do you sense this consciousness shift around looking at ourselves internally, as you've spoken about so eloquently, that everything that we do need is within us? Because I don't. We're not taught that at school.
1: No, we're not taught. We're not taught a lot of things <laughs> at school. Uh, yeah, we're not taught a lot of a lot of the life uh, learnings we kind of have to make mistakes and you know you end up being a villain in someone's eyes uh, as you as you progress through life but I think that's why for me coaching is one of the biggest um, skills that you can develop as uh, you know in your career Um, particularly because coaching can touch on like it's, it's a form you can, you can use coaching as, um, a self-reflective mechanism. You can coach individuals, um, when you become a people manager to help them kind of find, um, their, discover the answers for themselves or unlock, unlock those answers for themselves. Um, there's, there's, you know, really powerful, um, coaching questions that you can ask the individual so you know when you're having a conversation with someone and you want them to 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 clarify and build meaning you might ask them you know what does that mean to you when you want to help them uncover their assumptions you might ask them um how do you know that that's true um if you're trying to help them look for evidence you might ask you know when have you been in this situation before you might touch on role modeling where you ask them okay who who who's who has done this really well in the past and what is it about what they've done that makes it particularly good? Um, you might want to challenge their views, um, by asking, you know, what else could have contributed to this situation? Um, you might, um, evaluate the consequences like, you know, what would happen if you said yes to this or what would happen if you said no to this or what would happen if you did X, you know, uh, there are, that's why for me, like when it comes to the soft skills and, um, you don't realize that actually coaching others into discovering the answers for themselves is probably one of the biggest, most powerful contributions that you can make to um, supporting your team. Um, And, you know, you can even use these questions on yourself, you know, self-coaching to discover, um, to to uncover, to to kind of navigate very challenging um, times at work or even in your personal life.
0: Well, I think you've been absolutely generous and given half a dozen questions there. that I <laughs> Self-coaching themselves to bits after this. No, but it's really powerful. And I think what's really, it's so eloquent, Rebecca, how you just deliver that though. Like, I appreciate you've got a lot of practice, but it's just for you, it's so clear how those questions are just the right questions to be asking. It's really fascinating. Mm,
1: yeah. And sometimes you don't know what the what the right question is. And that's where I think presence comes in. You just kind of, just be still because you know there's so many things rushing through your mind uh, throughout the day there's um there's a meditation teacher that calls them the gotta gotta goddess so it's like every day you're like I-, I gotta do this and i gotta do that and i've got to do that and actually if you just slow down um and pause you you'll find that the answer just comes to you so it's okay to not have the answers it's okay to not know um you have to just surrender and and trust that the answer will come to you at the
0: right time. Right. Now, now you're getting me. We're, we're getting towards in this podcast and now my body's all tingly and uh, <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Now we're starting to hit the spiritual bit. Here we go. <laughs> so, but, but no, when, when I say that, I don't say that lightly. So I had quite what I call, I call it affectionately, Rebecca, a midlife awakening, definitely not yeah. a crisis 18 months ago. And I've been shown very clearly why I'm really interested in these conversations. That's why they're going deeper for me at the moment is because I had a mental health challenge myself a couple of years ago where I burnt myself out. And I was sitting on day two of this retreat and the person leading it, I just sat there and suddenly just went, oh my God, but guess what? My boss didn't tell me I wasn't good enough. Oh my God, I wasn't, people weren't avoiding me. I told myself so many stories of negative self-talk and victim thinking that I overthought my way into burning myself out. And I'm not saying that's the same for everyone that has a mental health challenge, but I truly believe that a lot of what's going on in our own head is totally thought created in the moment by us. It's not the outside world normally that's doing it to us. I don't know if that resonates or if you challenge it, but that certainly was my experience.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know whether, I mean, if you think it's worth me going through my life story for your-
0: Yeah, I I think it'd be helpful if you don't mind.
1: Um, So I, uh, I also went through this spiritual awakening um, in 2018 when, um, so my role was made redundant in 2017, just like five weeks shy of Christmas. And, and it was a really difficult time for me. So, you know, you go through the the five stages of grief and again, I kind of decided to pause and just, um, you know, instead of going straight into another role, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to take some time out. And I decided to write my autobiography. So I spent, uh, the first two months of 2018, six to twelve-hour days, scribbling, scribbling away at my autobiography. Um, it was something that was incredibly empowering for me, and being able to to take a step back and chronicle my life meant that I was able to see all the patterns that had emerged in you know throughout my journey so far. And so, um, I was I was born in uh, Sierra Leone in West Africa uh when i was 3 adopted here in the uk um when i was 8 my adopted mum suffered a heart heart attack and she passed away and i was looked after by you know not too very pleasant people for for a, a year or so um and then when i was um 11 my adopted mum's first cousin became my legal guardian and it was clear incredibly early on that she had some mental health problems so i um in her care experienced quite a lot of psychological and physical abuse to the extent that when it, you know, when I was 17, it got so bad that I decided to to make myself homeless because anywhere was better than being where I was. So I was put in a hostel, clinically diagnosed with depression. Uh, I was still doing my A-levels at the time. And I, you know, for me, education was the key. And I, that was the one good thing that I could focus on, one positive thing happening in my life that I could focus on. Uh, I passed my A-levels, went to university, graduated um, in my twenties, got married, had a baby, got divorced, discovered my um, birth mother, discovered I had a full sister outside of London and many, many more plot twists. But throughout all of these traumatic experiences, what I didn't realize was that I was, I was suppressing so much and I thought, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. I, I can handle this, I've been okay so far. Um, and you don't realize that, you know, again, like what I said earlier, you're suppressing so many things you're not addressing those things. And then you create these patterns throughout your life that are actually holding you back from living, uh, your great, becoming your greatest self, the person that you are supposed to be. Um, and it was really funny cause actually only recently I started going to therapy because even with therapy, I was kind of like, you know, I, I, I don't need therapy. I'm absolutely fine. You know, I've gone through my whole life so far and I'm, you know, I'm okay. And again, like I have such insightful conversations with my therapist, and I'm like, oh, I, I never really sat back and thought of that in that way, um, you know. And it really helped unlock so many fascinating things for me that are now allowing me to really heal. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, challenging the things that you, the the experiences in your life, the traumatic experiences, if you don't heal them you know, you find that you are trapped in a moment in time. Just like, you know, for me, um, I am very much, you know, this eight year old girl for me is still trapped, is still very vulnerable, is still very scared. And there are, you know, occasions that I have that I see her and I feel her and I kind of suppress that individual. And I'm learning now to, to allow her to, to come out. And I say, you know, it's okay. And only then can I really kind of step back into my power or step into my light. Um, and I want others, I want to be able to to help and enable others to to do the same because we all have something that we're struggling with. Um, you know, so yes, my journey has been, um, I mean, the things that have happened in my life are not unique to me. Um, maybe yes, as a sequence, sequence of events, they are unique as you know, um, but, we're all going through something and there's always that you know if you if you're able to express kindness and compassion um you're able to to create connections with individuals that are very powerful
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably because it's really i think for anyone that's listening to us is we we sort of start the conversation about you know where you're so passionate you want to help actualize other people yourself And you can sort of see the link. It's certainly not causal, but you can see the link between your journey and you trying to realize that potential in yourself and others for me. And I think it's so, so beautiful and so clear. So thank you so much for sharing it. And I'm just waving. No one can see the screen. But in your Disrupt HR talk, you spoke about the four agreements. Yes. And this is the universe me, right? So I couldn't remember, I'll be honest with you, how I came across the name for the book. And I saw it pop up on Amazon. It said, recommended, Gary, you should get this book. So I bought it going, I don't know where I remember seeing that. And I really <laughs> looked at Disruptive child Talk literally this morning. And I was just like, by Rebecca Monique, wasn't it? She, she spoke about it on her talk. And it's just, <laughs> it's just fascinating, isn't it, how stuff shows up when you most need it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think you just need to... You need to trust, and and I think that again, I keep going back to presence, but only when you are present will you notice the signs because otherwise, your whole life will just go past. You know, because you're always thinking about the next thing that you need to achieve, the next thing that you need to do. But when you are aware and you pick up on the little signs that are, you know, scattered about, you realize that they are all connected.
0: That's lovely. And look, if we do look to wrap up, there's something I'd like to, I'd like to reference your website. So something I was speaking for, for the listeners um, to, to Rebecca and Monique before we started was what I'm really, one of the things I'm really inspired about with, with Rebecca is that not only is she this super people leader within her work organization, she's got a beautiful personal brand and I'll share all of the um, the website and et cetera for Rebecca. But can you just speak a little bit for our listeners about what is it for you, Rebecca, why do you feel so a compelled and be confident to be the true authentic you as an individual whilst clearly being in this important role within a work organization so I think that's a balance that a lot of people aren't very comfortable with still at the moment
1: um i think I can't remember the the actual quote, but you know you have to be you because everyone else is taken yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know you have to just um. Like, you know, like I was saying, when you come from a place that's authentic, you are at your your higher self. You are at peace with who you are. Um, and it shows other people see it and you shine and you radiate and other people want to be part of you. P- people are drawn to you. Um, there's a Maya Angelou quote that I love um, that talks about how people remember not necessarily your words, but how you made them feel. And I think that if you feel good inside, whatever you have inside will show up in your external reality. And if you're able to, 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 to grow and and develop yourself, your authentic self, you are enabling others to. You're you're giving others permission to also do the same. Um, You're role modeling that to others. You're saying this is, you know, this is what will. this is what will will make you feel fulfilled this is what will you'll find your purpose doing this um so yeah i think for me especially in such a high visible highly visible role i have to i have to represent what i want or what i'm teaching others to do you know i have to follow my own advice um so yeah
0: I love that. And it sort of comes back again to you. You spoke about this accountability piece as well. So I think it all stems together, doesn't it? You know, at the end of the day, how can you expect others to show up if you're not willing to do it yourself? I think, was it Brene Brown says, oh, it's beautiful. She spoke about that. I'm not going to get upset by people who are not in the arena with me. Yeah, I'm going to listen to the people that are in the arena. I'm not going to listen to those that aren't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love that.
0: So how can people find out more about you? So I'll make sure your links are on the website, but I'd like you just to let people know, where's the best ways for people to find you? Are there the best mediums at LinkedIn with uh, other mediums?
1: Oh, uh, my website, uh, LinkedIn, can connect with me. Let me know how you heard about me. Because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I get so many LinkedIn, as we all do, we get quite a few like random LinkedIn messages. and you know, So um, yeah, let me know how you, you, you came about finding out about me. Uh, Twitter um yeah i'm quite responsive always looking to to connect with interesting people have have you know deep conversations so yeah just say hi
0: wonderful well i'll make sure all of those connections are in the show notes and i just want to say honestly an awesome human being i knew we'd have a great chat so thank you for for sharing so openly rebecca
1: no thank you it's been an absolute pleasure
0: and this is a little little quote to finish on this is on rebecca's website when you go and have a have a have a view i think it sums up this conversation brilliantly the people are the business, and the business is the people. The two are not mutually exclusive.
1: 100%. <laughs> so
0: I think it's just a perfect way to wrap this conversation up. So, have a great day, Rebecca. Thanks for your time.
1: You too. Bye.
0: Yes. Hi there, Gary Turner here wrapping up this excellent conversation with Rebecca Monique Williams. I took so much away from this conversation and I'm sure that you will have as well. So please do let us know either directly or via the um, iTunes podcast app what you took away. And indeed, if you could leave a rating for this podcast, that would be amazing. But a few of the key things I took away were Rebecca spoke about that I look after me. We owe it to ourselves. And I think there's something really, really powerful in this, is that so often we are serving or helping other people. You know, that's a good human trait. But so often we neglect ourselves and we forget that actually we have our own well-being, um, which, of course, innately is very, very positive. But if we give too much away uh, to other people, then we end up actually depleting ourselves. So it's a really, really powerful message. And that links to me as well, where Rebecca spoke about the fact that everything uh, to help us thrive is within ourselves. So again, that ability, that desire to stop and get present um, is so, so important. It's something that comes up time and time again on this podcast. We live in a busy world. Technology enables us to be busier, to connect, etc. But it's down to us. We, we totally, within, e- within every single one of us, we have a choice to stop and to get present, to reflect and to really make the most of the connections that we have, both with ourselves and those around us. And this also linked to me around creating space where Rebecca spoke about this authentic versus whole self. And that's quite an interesting debate for me because myself, I speak an awful lot around bringing your whole self um, to work. And I mean it in the best of intentions. And I'm talking from a point of being able to be vulnerable, to say you don't know, to be courageous, to show up. And that's really where I feel I'm bringing my whole self. But I understood what Rebecca meant when she said about how about bringing your authentic self so you don't have to be waltz and all. You're just bringing the version of you that doesn't require you to overthink or pretend to be something that you're not. You're just bringing the best version of you in that moment. And I think there's, a, there's definitely something very powerful in that. One of my biggest takeaways um, across the whole of this conversation, however, um, was around the speed versus velocity message uh, that Rebecca shared. I thought that was so, so powerful. We're, we're really obsessed with speed Everybody's talking about the next quarter's results. Everybody's talking about the the hurry, 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 multitasking, doing five jobs at a time. Um, But that's really the short-term mantra. That's really the short-term mindset, whereas Rebecca was talking about velocity, which is more of a longer-term approach. So, you know, doing the right things, being effective, doing it at the speed that's right for the business intentionally, uh, marginal gains. These are all the things that came up for me in that topic around speed versus velocity. And another point I just want to wrap up with two final points were I absolutely loved when Rebecca spoke about the culture at a test where she's head of people. They have a, a continuous listening strategy. So learning for sure is part of it, but a continuous listening strategy that really resonates with me so much because we're very, very much engineered. I'm pretty sure you, me or work organisations, those we work with, we're often talking Um, or discussing but very rarely are we actually stopping and getting present to listen to what's going on around us or to somebody else and I just love this idea of a continuous listening strategy and it's certainly something I'm pointing towards with my idea around the listening organization which heavily focuses on um, deeply human areas such as listening, well-being, curiosity, mindset, uh, purpose and values and others. So if that resonates with you please do get in contact. I'd love to have a conversation with you uh, both alongside Rebecca, but also with regards to my ideas around how we can try and bring a continuous listening strategy to life for you. And then the final point for me is the metrics that matter. How many people do you, the listener, know the metrics that matter to your organisation? So if you're in sales, finance, you're an independent consultant, you know, how clear are you as to those three, four or five metrics that matter to the client or your work organisation? For my work organisation, for example, it's going to be EBITDA, Earning Before Interest track Tax uh, Depreciation and Amortisation. That's a big one for us. We're looking at gross margin. We're looking at sales turnover. We're looking at average stock. They're the sorts of numbers that are really on the top of my front of mind for our CEO or for our senior leadership teams across the world. What are those m- metrics that matter for you personally and your work organisation? Are you clear on those? And if you're not, then that could always, that's always a risk to misalign communication so there's some of the key takeaways for me I absolutely love this conversation I'm so grateful to Katrina Collier for the work she does with Disrupt jar. that's how I managed to meet Rebecca uh, Monique and I really hope you take something away from this conversation and again any feedback directly uh, to Rebecca and I would be great if you appreciate or indeed some feedback via the um, iTunes podcast app and until episode 61 this was episode 60 with Rebecca Monique Williams and myself your host Gary Turner Take care for now.